Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand. However you found us, we're glad that you're here as we get behind the scenes with the Pursuit Spirits brand. I am your host, Brian Bikey. We have Kenny and Ryan joining us. Guys, how are you today? How diddly do. It's a great day to be alive. You know, the sun is shining. The tank is clean. Yeah, tank what is tank? clean. What <laughs> tank? It's like y'all get your septic tank clean recently or something. <laughs> There's still a thing. <laughs> We're not on septic right now. However, most of the houses we, we've been house hunting, most of the houses we've been looking at uh, are on septic. So I've learned quite a bit about septic in the last three weeks. Oh, you're going to be in for an awakening then of of a new chore you have to take care of at some point. The septic pursuit. <laughs> Behind the side, but, but I'll have a I'll have a bigger yard that you can come take a look at. Though I mean, we're looking at we're looking at acreage. So, ooh, ooh I like acreage. That means dollars dollars. That's right. But he wants to put in a putting green and a and a driving range. So that is right. And one of the houses we looked at actually right next door the the patio to that house. It, it looks almost like a venue for a wedding, and it does have five hole putting green on the back porch too. And I was just like, well, we kind of ride alongside of each other. I'll just flex some of the whiskey and then, you know, we'll, we'll end up being buddy, buddy. I'll be able to go over there and putt and we'll just drink some nice whiskey. So I don't know if that one's going to play out, but it does have a pond. We'll see. So, sounds amazing. Too bad. Let me know how. County. I won't come see you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. We are right around the corner from the Kentucky state fair. So uh, can you guys give me an update on the uh, pursuit booth you guys are going to have at the Kentucky state fair? Mm. Well, mm. The uh, the fair we're not going to be at, but the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, that's one thing we're looking at. Yeah, we uh, we haven't made it to the Kentucky State Fair yet because we haven't really dialed in the timing on how long do you have to deep fry the Oreos to make them servable. So that's still something we're working on. Pursuit soaked fried Oreos does sound like a thing. I mean, it, anything can be a thing. It just depends if uh, people people will buy it. That's that's you always you always got to chase after what people want, but. I mean, bourbon, bourbon deep fried anything. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I mean, I've seen those things where you could, they have like those, those balls that like shots and they're in sort of like small little whiskey balls and you can kind of like just consume by like taking them and eating them. But I wonder if you could deep fry those. Well, I mean, it's no, I mean, there's, it's, it's like one of those, you know, those gastro, whatever crazy things you see at bars that they're all like, oh, let's go try this thing out. And so they had these and- I mean, as bad as I sound, they kind of look like Tide Pods, but you have like a Tide Pod basically filled with a whiskey or a cocktail for that matter, and you just take it down like a donut hole, and that's it. Uh-huh. So, Sounds terrible. So you get some batter, throw it on there, maybe a little cinnamon, a little bit of sugar. I don't know. We might have something hey. there. So if, unless you bite it in half, then it's just going to be like a runny mess, but you got you to take the whole thing at once. <laughs> have either of y'all had the... The Krispy Kreme burger, the donut burger. I, yes. I have not. It's got a billboard now in town. I was like, what the hell? Have you had it? It's wild. I mean, it tastes like a regular burger covered in sugar, which is completely <laughs> abnormal. Yeah. I was Saddle. like, I like my burgers with some grease and stuff like that, but the, the sugar, I made that movie too much. Comes with a side of Lipitor, too. <laughs> Well, let's back up. Let's back up. I want to hear more about the uh, Kentucky Bourbon Festival. I don't think we've really talked much about that. So why don't you give the give the people the lowdown on what's going on with you all there? Yeah, I'm super excited to be able to talk about this uh, only because this is kind of going to kick off a, a quote unquote tour, if you will, of, of what we're going to be doing. We've got a bunch of cities lined up and talking to a bunch of distributors and some of the new states and the territories that we're opening 
and they're like, hey, just come on down. We'd love to be able to have you in person. And so this idea of like going to like one or two places has spawned into like nine or 10 cities. So we'll be able to talk about that probably more here uh, in the next uh, recording or something like that. But one of our first kind of things of kind of kicking this thing off is going to be in Kentucky and it's going to be at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. This was something that I went to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival last year and this was the that was the kind of the first year where it wasn't this whole like you know only this the towns people come in there's got like a state cakes. fair yeah it's exactly the very opposite of that so it's this very it's like huge it's fenced off you can't get in except one or two different entrances you have to have wristbands you got to show ids you got to be able to get in you got to have tickets and so last year it was ten dollars a head and you can come in and you can buy samples you could buy cocktails you could do all this sort of stuff and it end up being a really good way to be able to run the festival. And for the most part, every single distillery was on board with it because they liked this new sort of format. And it started bringing in more consumers from around the nation. And it's just not something that's just home to the people of Bardstown or around Kentucky or anything like that. And so I looked at that and I said, man, this is great. I was there. I was on stage last year giving a presentation with Steve Coombs and a few other different people. I don't even remember what the, the topic was, but it was it was fun to just kind of be there in the atmosphere with everything going on. And we didn't have a booth. We didn't do anything like that because I'm sort of past the point now where I don't want to record podcasts on site at a festival because as you could imagine, there's a bunch of background noise and you just don't get a really good listener experience. But I said, this is just a good opportunity for us to be able to come and just talk about the Bourbon Pursuit brand. This is even before I was thinking about Pursuit Spirits at the time. But then everything we've been growing a lot over the past year. And I looked at it and I said, we now can really own a booth and not and we can we can dual home it. We can do it for Bourbon Pursuit and Pursuit Spirits. And so we can really look at it as a way to emphasize and talk about both brands at the same exact time, not only as being the number one podcast in bourbon, but also this brand that we're building and we can utilize both of them to kind of elevate our platforms as we go through there. So now I'm, I'm, well, A, I'm excited to be able to do that. B, I'm also freaking terrified because the way that they're doing Kentucky Bourbon Festival this year is completely different. Now, instead of having to go and say $10 a head, be able to go in and you pay for per pour or per uh, sample or per cocktail. Now it's $125 a person to get in and it's unlimited pours and samples and whatever you want. So there's a, there's a way that you have to be a, you have to be a smart sort of person that you're serving, not to make sure you're over serving somebody and, and keep giving somebody the same exact thing. Uh, but B, we don't freaking know how much whiskey that we're going to have to go through. Um, this is our, our inventory we held back as kind of sampling and giving out for uh, media and whatever we can do for help promotion. And golly, if we blow through all of our cases we held back on this one festival, I'm going to be kind of pissed. But I think they, they did say that we could average around 7,000 people a day is what they're going to expect. And that seems like a lot. And I'll be interested to kind of see what it's going to be like. I know Ryan and I, we've got some long days ahead of us trying to stand on our feet. And our, I think our throats will be sore from talking so much for a few days straight, but it'll be worth it. Yeah, I'm scared conferences and like home shows and stuff. I used to do those when uh, starting out 
go green and Kenny and I have done some, they were bourbon related, but not really. And then you get, you know, some people that like don't care about bourbon showing up and you're talking, trying to explain. So I, I am excited. I think this will be a really cool educational piece. The people that are coming are, they're paying an investment to be there. And so, you know, they're interested in bourbon and the brands and trying different things. So I think it'll be a home run for us. Um, Cause a lot of people still don't know who the hell we are. And so we, hopefully we can catch some new, uh, you know, new fans and some attention. And I did not go to bourbon festival last year, but I heard it was fantastic. They got some great leadership on board. Um, I'm excited about the new format and uh, hopefully, yeah, I can uh, have a voice by Sunday because three or four days of talking, drinking, (laughs) sampling, it's going to be long. So if you're a masseuse and you're going to the bourbon festival, shoot us an email podcast at pursuitspirits.com because the guys are going to need it after those long days, right? Well, who knows? I mean, maybe we could set up a table inside the tent, and that's how we attract people in. We're like, ah, you get your your five minute massage, and then on to the next person. One one bone I do have to pick with this festival thing is like, um, so th- here just shows you that the big distilleries still run everything and squash the little guys. Is that the distilleries with the DSP can sell bottles on site? whereas we are not allowed to, um, being a non-distilling producer. So we can only give away samples. We can't sell bottles, um, which is kind of frustrating. And, you know, I think some laws need to change because, you know, it's it, it's not fair, really. You know, we're paying to be there just like everyone else. But, uh, but that's just one thing I'm kind of quirks me about this whole thing. But I, I still am very excited about teaching our brand and letting everybody try our whiskey, getting as – a famous consultant, Kenny, told me, Lick, liquid to lips. And uh, yeah, that's what this is all about, is getting people to uh, get liquid to lips and try our product. And the yeah. pot, hear about the podcast, too. Yeah, that too. I mean, honestly, it, Ryan, I think you said it best when we were talking about it. Is like, we pay excise tax like everybody else. So why can't we sell bottles? <laughs> right. So it's. I think it's uh, It's. it's unfortunate. We pay more excise tax because <laughs> we it's don't true. get a craft rate like anyone else does at the beginning. You know, they get 100 thousand proof gallons they get a craft rate we don't get any of that you know and so it's like we're paying the higher excess tax rate and we can't sell a damn bottle uh it's kind of bullshit but whatever are you all able to do any pre-sales with pickup at the festival try and work your work away around that no uh you know they've they've kind of basically put it out there that that they can't do that and plus as part of what we do I think it's also an, an it's an accounting thing and it's a legality thing that we still have to try to figure out ourselves because as being a, our 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 permit that we do have as being a wholesaler and that's our TTB permit because we don't have a DSP license because we run it out of my house so therefore we cannot have a DSP license nobody's going to come to my house and go oh where's your still because sorry you don't qualify for a DSP so unfortunately you know being a part of the the tier we necessarily can't sell direct to consumers but that's something that i know ryan has been talking to a few other people that they're trying to get that law changed which would be great because we could be able to put that and, and have a, a legal route to sell that in our books so we're, we're already figuring out ways to kind of get i would say get around it but we're going to play within the the laws of of what we can do and that's basically saying if you want to buy our bottles on site you can go and you can get them at the justin's house of bourbon tent or potentially the bardstown bourbon company tent yep finding those gray areas i feel like there's got to be room in your backyard for a still 
<laughs> You've been here. There's barely a back room for. I don't even have a yard back in yeah, the back there. His dog can't even pee back there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's dig into the topic we have at hand today, and it's an interesting one, I think. And I want we're going to talk about does knowing the source matter. So, and this this is something that I know that you will talk about. Uh, you know, there's kind of two sides of this coin. There's the part that you all talk about with transparency. And, you know, we're in an era nowadays where transparency is like a big thing. People want to know all about whatever they can about the products they're buying. But should we share all those details that go into products, into the batches? And um, Ryan, even as we were talking about this before the show, you, you mentioned things in regards to knowing the source, the mash bill, the percentages, all these and and we'll we'll take it from the point that you brought up in in our little little chat thread about that. Like, what other what other industry besides the one that we're in asks for this sort of information? Again, we could say it's on the transparency side, but I think a lot of times it, it's and some of the questions we'll get to will lead this way. It's not just about the transparency. It's sort of like decoding and figuring out aside from just knowing where it comes from. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of kick it off a little bit. You're right. It is almost like a decoding. And honestly, if I, if I look at this, I think that we have to take it back a few years because really nobody cared about the source of anything for the longest time. I would think this is probably a recent phenomenon of the last few years because if anybody thinks of when they started getting into bourbon or getting into whiskey or getting into anything like that, you probably started off with some core expressions. One was probably bullet, right? Everybody freaking tried bullet when they first started it. When you first started, you probably didn't know that that was built off a source brand. You had no idea where it came from. You didn't know it was MGP. You didn't know if it was four rows. You didn't know where it came from. And honestly, you just you were just like, whatever, it's, it's good whiskey. Same thing for Jefferson's. Same thing for a lot of different brands out there that were built off being non-distilling producers. Over the past, I'd say probably, I'm going to say six to seven years, is kind of when you saw that, that coin flip on the other side. From when I started getting into bourbon, that was, I mean, that's probably 2012, 2013 timeframe. I started looking at that and I started thinking, well, how can I start learning more about this? Where do I take those next steps and, and how do I get into it? Because for the most part, a lot of people don't care. A lot of people think that they love Angel's Envy. People love Angel's Envy, and that's great. They make great whiskey, but they don't make their own whiskey. They have made their own whiskey in the, for the longest time. But that's just one of those things that maybe the majority of people just don't care. And and it's hard to figure out who do you tailor to in that sort of scenario. It's like, do you go to the people that are the mass market that don't care? And honestly, they just like the way that it tastes and the way that what the bottle looks. Or do you try to look at it and say, I'm going to go as transparent as possibly can, appease the whiskey geeks and hopefully from there we kind of build out from the nucleus on out into you know the, the greater market for me personally and in the way of course that we've gone through here is because the way that we have tailored our podcast a bourbon pursuit and the way that we have tailored our brand we focus on the whiskey i wouldn't say connoisseur but the whiskey enthusiast the person who cares the, they, the ones that gives a shit they give a damn about everything that goes into the bottle they give a damn about everything that we do and maybe the ones that are now chasing everything that's also sourced 
to be fair, you look at other things that have been blown up over the past few years. Gosh, I mean, I can't remember the last time we had the the episode we were talking about, and I was like, why is everybody chasing after MGP? And that was probably four years ago. And all of a sudden, everybody's chasing after MGP. And that might just be the the way that the tides kind of, you know, turned a little bit. And all of a sudden, people started caring about it. Um, people started chasing after sourced brands, which is great, especially for us, because now we're building stuff off of a sourced brand. But we also want to make a little bit of difference and an impact of how do we differentiate ourselves in that marketplace when it comes to being a source brand and how do we kind of create our own story and how do we have a product that is, you know, has, has a, has a different look and feel and taste when it comes off the shelf as well. So anyway, back to kind of your original question and, and I'm kind of going off on a tangent here is, is like, you know, does, does the, does the source matter for the most part? I don't really think it does for the mass majority of the market. It's it's one of those things that people don't care. They care about a story. They care about the way the bottle looks. They care about whoever that they met made an impact on that day that they were there and they tasted something and all of a sudden that stuck with them and they're a customer for life. I think those are the things that matter. Where the bourbon comes from, where the whiskey comes from, it only matters to a degree, and that matters to a very, very small percentage of the people. But I would love to hear a, uh, a counter-argument. Yeah, it's fascinating because, like, you think about, I was looking at, you know, I've gotten into tequila recently, and, you know, there's... Oh, God. Are we going to lose you? Well, no, I haven't, but I'm just... <laughs> I, I, I'm trying thank to like God, relate. Thank it. God we made it. We named our company Pursuit Spirits because no, we have, not, we have an opportunity. It's not the Pursuit <laughs> Whiskey Company, but it, you know we can we can go into tequila if we need to. But I'm just trying to relate it to to bourbon. So like, obviously it has to be made in this tequila that I can't remember the city region that it's in, but it, they're they're by no means is like there's a ton of contract distillers you know that may produce this for a ton of different brands and there is none of that information like even remotely on the bottles on the website you know where the the juice is coming from and then you look at wines like wine you know like i think of some of my favorite blends of wines like prisoner and saldo and um there's you know mayo me or this and that and none of them like talk about you know where the the grapes are grown or where they're because they're all sourced wines like and blended by someone and no one cares. And like, but for some reason, bourbon is held to recently has been held to this standard of like, you gotta, you know, obviously you have to say state of distillation for TTB reasons. Um, but like, even like, you know, absolute vodka or Tito's for Christ's sake is, you know, was source built on a source, you know, vodka, you know, say as handcrafted in Austin bullshit in indiana you know <laughs> there's no way that they can handcraft that much potatoes yeah. to be able to make that vodka well and, and so it's like it's crazy that whiskey is kind of held to the standard and i don't mind it i think it's cool it helps you know differentiate your product from one to the other what's interesting now is that you have you know you talk about mgp and you have so many brands using mgp people chasing that but five six years ago they had no idea who mgp was you know and like why why did that become a thing it's like i, I understand the templeton thing was like kind of like oh we're you know handcrafting handmade you know in iowa or whatever 
And then that all those. That was probably the tipping point for a lot of yeah. people. That really was. But you had like, you know, you talk about Bullet, then you had Willet, you know, building a great brand off of, you know, a ton of different source from all over Kentucky. Um, Jefferson's doing the same thing. And it's like, I just don't know that the general population cares, but um, yeah, I, I I love sharing, you know, where we get our stuff and, but you know, the whiskey geeks care, but when I like my uncle go get some bottle, he's not like, I don't give a shit, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, he's <laughs> it to get the job done. Yeah. <laughs> right. Does it taste good? And is it, uh, you know, reasonably priced, you know, and look cool. So that's the balance. I think we have to figure out is like, how nerdy do you get? Because you have like someone like Barstown bourbon company who puts, you know, the exact percentages on the label of each component, each blend, the year and that, and that's really cool, I think, from a consumer standpoint. It's an educational thing. But Bartstown's a new brand. They need to differentiate themselves from others, you know, in the market. They're sourcing from different places for their stuff now. And so, you know, will that continue as they move into, like, their, you know, bringing in their own distillate and doing, you know, their own stuff? Will they continue to, like, start revealing all that again? I don't know. It's it's interesting. Well, do you need to do that based on the price? Because a lot of the stuff that Barstown does is, I mean, at the very minimum, you're at a hundred dollars up to two or three hundred, and honestly, I feel like that's a premium. It, it it is a premium product at the end of the day. So I feel that you need to have some sort of premium packaging that goes along with it, and maybe that's just something that's a little added bonus onto there. Does it make a difference if it's on there? I don't know. I honestly don't know if if they didn't put the percentages on there, if people would care. I feel that in the short term, people would because that's what they've been accustomed to. And the people that have kind of like gravitated towards Bardstown have been a lot of the whiskey enthusiasts. They they appreciate what they've done. They've They've really amplified everything that has been happening inside the bourbon world. And they look at that and they're like, oh, I love the transparency. I love being able what they can create, their packaging, everything that goes into it. But you go and you talk to Sally, Sue, and Joe, and Billy, and whomever that kind of roll through there, they probably don't care. They're they're just, hey, we're going on a whiskey tour. Let's go have some fun. Oh, 150 bucks? I don't know. Sure. Why not? I got paid this last week. Let's go ahead and buy it. I don't really know if the general populace really cares about it, though. Um, so that maybe price point has something to do with it, but honestly, you look at, I mean, you could probably look at a lot of things that are over a hundred, 200, $300 that are all sourced. I, let's look at everything Kentucky Al did. None of that had any kind of, you know, where did it come from? And all that yeah, was super non-age dated. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and what happened to that brand? It got bought out, right? I mean, it got bought out for some money and, all of a sudden, you know, that everything got handed over. So it, it's it's hard to tell honestly what you're what what who's who, who's looking at it. Is it the general populace? Is it from an acquisition standpoint? Do they say what does this packaging look like and how can we turn this into a mass market brand? And the and I think that we've realized the more detailed you get, the harder you get when it comes to being able to kind of be mass market as well. Because when you are and we learned this with Pursuit Series is that every single time you want to try to put as much transparency on the bottle as possible, that means more work and, and more labor that goes into creating that, 
that package at the end of the day. And it, it does not end up being something that is a scalable product. So I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a good question to kind of ponder there for a second. Yeah. What do you, what would you say is the, the largest contributing factor that would in the last six or seven years, as you said, have people caring where the source comes from? Is it because we've seen an increase in price and products and thus they, they beg to know what, what would command such a cost? Is it that you have products that are running ultra limited and that, that elusiveness of being able to find it has them saying, well, is it something that's super rare? Is it something that's like, do I just need to know what it is? Cause there's not much of it. Is it because there's a top 10 list and somebody said it's great, whether they're paid to or not, you never know. And all of a sudden top 10s. Yeah. I mean, great. Top 10 is great. I think, yeah, I think premiumization has definitely played a part in it and doing the, the LTOs and whatnot. Like you look at a brand like four roses, you know, who was built on, you know, a yellow label, you know, blend of 10 different recipes. They never really harped on them. You know, they had a, a small batch and, you know, I loved Four Roses small batch when I was getting into bourbon and I never really gave a shit, you know, how much percentage of <laughs> OES, true. OB, whatever, you know, or the single barrel, you know, and now, I mean, good God, you know, we're talking to the, you know, the, the king of knowing what tiers and what recipes and, you know, it's, uh, and all that's played, it's, you know, bourbon is that, I think what brands have figured out is, you know, bourbon has that there's a thousand variables in bourbon and you can make and market every single one of them. And I think that's what has led to this like over transparent over like separating the, the wheat from the chaff, like getting like so fine detail of like everything that, cause you can say, well, you know, yeah, you've had OESK 12 year, but have you had OESK 10 and a half on tier four. <laughs> Your mind is about to be blown. <laughs> and, you know, people will be like, oh, I haven't. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know. Side by side. It. Verticals. Horizontal. Let's do them all. But I think, you you know, you have brands like Four Roses, you know, with the, the, the small batch limited edition, you know, was putting the percentages and ratios and whatnot. And, and I do think that's cool because it's a one-time release and I, and I think with Bardstown I think it's cool too and that's where I've we've kind of drawn the line on transparency is like I'm happy to share mash bills happy to share ages happy to share where we source it from I'm not happy to share the percentages of the blend because it took me a year basically of failing to figure out what works you know and that's like it's a hard thing to do and that's kind of where we've drawn the line and transparency but we've had people say well you need to tell the percentages you need to know we need to know the you know why are you hiding that <laughs> you know and so i don't know what do you thought what's your thoughts well i i want to go on that because we have to have a little bit of ip because if we didn't have any ip then our company and everything means nothing because it can just be replicated by somebody else and so that is that is essential to the business people to make that happen and i i want to make sure that i I give you credit where credit is due because I don't know if anybody caught the last review of Jason from the Mash and Drum. He did a review of United CC for the Bourbon and Rye. 
And at the very end, he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do my own blending here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the first United Boo Rye. I'm going to go ahead and blend the bourbon and the rye together. And he was like, I'll bet this will be pretty good. He tried, he goes, Never mind, it's not that good. It falls flat. <laughs> so, so there's so there's something we said about the process and everything that goes into it that that truly makes it uh, the product of, of what it is. Um, not to not to kind of derail what Ryan was kind of uh, pushing to you there, Brian. But I want to go back to what you were saying too of of sort of like how did we get here? And honestly, I look at this as the natural evolution and progression of of what is bourbon. You look at five, six, seven years ago. There were no podcasts. Well, there was. There was one or two, but there was not near as many as there are today. Same thing for YouTube channels, same thing for bloggers. You had straightbourbon.com, but beyond that, you didn't really have much of an enthusiast. You didn't have the bourbon or Facebook community with 60, 70, 80,000 people, whatever it is. And plus all the other Facebook forum groups and all this other kind of stuff. I think this was this was a natural evolution of bourbon and we've talked about it plenty, plenty of times before that nobody saw the amount of, of expansion, the rise, the popularity, nobody ever saw it coming and you couldn't plan for it. And it's okay. I think this is, it's, it's been the okay part of things because bourbon was undervalued for far too long. Being able to get an Elijah Craig 12 year for 35 bucks I mean, gosh, like that, that seems asinine, but that's the way it was, you know, seven, eight years ago. So we, we look at this and this is, this is a good thing for bourbon. It's a good thing for whiskey is that it is able to start of start breaking these new boundaries and we're able to elevate the category, be able to bring it to more consumers. And I think there's, you know, we say more consumers, we talk about the growing popularity, but I think it's also necessary to mention that you should probably go and research people like Chuck Cowdery and other others that have written a lot of history and it talks about whiskey sales over time and if, I mean correct me if I'm wrong but the last time I read something about Chuck about this and says that like we are just now getting to the point of how many like cases liters gallons whatever sold per year as we were doing in the 19, what, 30s or 40s compared yeah. to now. And our population is two or three X. So the ability for this market to expand is, is going to be exponential. And I, I'm excited for it. Uh, also scared for it. Just make sure that we have product to be able to sell. But for the most part, I am I'm excited for it. And I know that doesn't go back into the, the whole, like, is this being, is a source thing? But it just to kind of talk about, I, th I think that, the the evolution of of how people wanted to get into bourbon people are really getting into it they're gravitating to it they just want to know more about it and so it's just a natural evolution and every distillery has followed through and and followed suit you look at the latest release of heaven hill and their 17 year i think distillers collection or heritage collection or whatever it is where it comes in a, a nice fancy box and everything like that and what do they do? Not only they put the year, but they put the Rick House, they put the location of the barrels, they put everything on there, as much transparency as you possibly can. And but who are they speaking to? They're not speaking to Joe, Sally, Sue, and Jim that are coming from wherever to come and visit the Bourbon Trail. No, they are speaking to the whiskey enthusiasts that are going to drop $300 on a bottle and not think twice about it because they know what they're getting. So 
you've got to, I think maybe at this point, we've, we've got to realize that you've got to cater to both crowds. You can't cater to one. Uh, you've got to look at something like what's your mass market? What's your consumer brand that you can pump out over and over and over again with quality and consistency. And you don't care about the transparency. You don't care about whatever, as long as it is, has a, has a story to tell and you can get liquid to lips and you can make sure you can sell that bottle then that is your something that can go mass market. But then the other side of things is you've got to appeal to the whiskey geek. You've got to make sure that you have got something that is a even more detailed story that they can resonate with, that they can say, all right, I can get behind this. I can understand where this is coming from. I understand the story. I understand the brand. And you want to make them a customer for life. I wish people just wouldn't get so hung up on the details, you know, it's moved from like, is it good or not to like, okay, we'll have to vet it first, you know, from the details to decide if it's good or not before trying it. Because and, people will write it off before they even know about it. Exactly. For instance, like in wine, you know, you obviously Napa was king and you have, uh, you know, surrounding regions that make just as good as wine you know, even other states, like nobody writes those off like, oh, it's not Napa Valley wine, you know, but in bourbon, you know, if it's KY or now MGP, you know, if it's not those two, it's immediately written off and it's no longer about like, well, can we try it? And is it good? It's, it's all about where the specs first and then I'll try it, you know, or, you know, this and that. And I guess that's the annoying thing. Whereas we kind of approach this like, hey, we don't care about we care about where it's from, but we care about flavor and like what's good. And that's what we're focused on and who gives a damn where, you know, it's from. We're happy to tell you where it's from, but we think this is the best, you know, uh, we, we think this is, are, are some unique flavors and profiles we can give you by doing something different than sourcing it from one distillery in one state. But people will immediately write it off because it's, uh, you know, has, Tennessee or New York or this or that. Um, I guess that's the the annoying, frustrating part about knowing all the details or whatever. Well, you know, we've we've always created ourselves an uphill battle. That's, we've done it since day one. We, we started a brand based on Source Tennessee. And we knew when we were getting into this, we said, this is really good, but we know we're not going to win everybody over. And the same exact thing happened. I wouldn't say the same exact thing happened. We had a little bit better reception, but the, it's still going to be a continual education process when we say, oh yes, of course we have KY in our, our United blends, but we also have Tennessee and we have New York and people go, ah, New York City, you know, like the old El Paso sauce commercials or whatever it is. And I think that, was it El Paso? Oh, wait, well, El Paso. Pace. Pace, Pace, thank you. But I think that's just one of those things that, you know, we have we have chosen the the low the road less traveled, and it's going to be one of those things that it's going to be a continual education process. And honestly, I'll put a challenge out there to to listeners and everybody else like that is that you know, hopefully, I don't want to say we're we're not. I don't. We're definitely not trendsetters. I mean, there's people like Barrel that has done this before us, and and plenty of others. But I feel that there's an opportunity for all of us that haven't been so ingrained to saying like, well, if it ain't made in Kentucky, then it ain't bourbon or whatever you want to say, you know, this is an opportunity for you to be able to kind of educate other folks and, and kind of be the champions of, 
of actual bourbon, not just everything Kentucky or Indiana or Tennessee or whatever, but bourbon. Like it is, it is a distinct product of the United States of America, of not a specific territory or anything like that. And so be able to share your knowledge with your friends, your family, everything like that. I mean, this is something that, that could, I don't want to say start a revolution, but I mean, honestly, I, I feel that you could you could really change a lot of minds and perception out there if you if you really work at it. I guess I'd just be curious, you know, if TTB didn't require you to put the state of distillation, you know, and people didn't share oh, it. Game, didn't, game over. Game over. You didn't know, like, what how, What would a consumer, you know, would, the, I, I don't know, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I think I just wonder how many people either think they know what they like because of past history or because they're told they like it versus how many people have tried things and been burned by it. And you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a time where prices are ever increasing. So things are kind of costly. If you want to kind of jump out there from some of those kind of heritage brands. And so I kind of wonder what that breakdown is. If there's people who are like, no, I just really like to follow what, what, you know, the, the mash bills or the percentage, you know, the, the, the details that are out there, I like what I like. And so I'm going to keep buying it or, or I'm told that I want to buy it versus just being like, I, I, I tried something from New York before and I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste $50 again, or I've tried something That's from true. Texas before. I, I just, I'm not going to try it again. I've, I've tried a bunch of shit from Kentucky it ain't that good either, right? So I think that's that's one of those things that people have to get over that stigma. Is like, oh, just because it comes from a different state doesn't mean that it's all bad. I mean, shit, what is it? There are 2,000 distilleries across the United States now. It seems like there's a few in every state. So I think one of them will get it right. And I can guarantee you there's a lot in Kentucky that don't get it right either. Uh, we we have an opportunity to try a lot of, a lot of crap that falls our way. And so it's just one of those things that you know, we've, we've got to be able to break through that, that stigma. The, the kind of a question that I have on here is what do you think makes some brands or, or trends or sources uh, more desirable and others slept on? And now I, I will say this because I think this is the, the counterpoint earlier in, in the topic that you, that you brought up. You said, I'd love to hear a counter argument. So the one thing I find interesting, you know, the, the newest pursuit, series single barrel that it's only one for kentucky is at our local louisville barchtown road costco and you've been mentioning that it's a six and a half year old woodenville so i know that you've been talking about you know being able to try this older woodenville bear out there and so you know on the kind of counter side i would say to that in some cases i would say maybe in the underdog cases we try and lift up the source. We try and celebrate the source that is is the less talked about, is the more slept on versus the others that don't necessarily need that hype train. But it, I, I, I'm just throwing that out there because I would say that's probably the counter argument, right? Is that there are sometimes where we do want to talk about the specs. We do want to talk about where it's from because we're trying to highlight that there's quality here that you should pay attention to. No doubt. I mean, I, I, I thousand percent agree, but I would sometimes Woodenville would even tell you like coming to Kentucky, Kentucky's probably one of their harder States they've had to get in because people have written them off because they see that WA. And I just curious if you've, if nobody knew as Washington, you know, and they just drank it, you know, they would be blown away. I, if 
Woodenville was made in Kentucky, it would be bigger than New Riff or Willet. I mean, that's it's just that good a whiskey. I mean, it's really good. Um, but people won't give it a chance. Now, we've helped I think we we're that's what we did with Pursuit Series and our goal with Pursuit United is helping break down those barriers and helping people understand that yes, sir, there's these great distilleries and we kind of have a built reputation where some people will listen to us and trust us to make that leap of faith, but not all. But um, I mean, that single barrel, you know, is is fantastic. It's one of the better ones we we've had, you know, out there. Um, but a lot of people, I'm sure, will go in there and go, Washington, what the hell, you know. I ain't buying this shit. You know, these potato podcasters putting out Washington bourbon, you know. Yeah, that's that's been the way that, that we've kind of driven our business. And that's the way that we like to drink our whiskey. And, and hopefully we want to make, we don't want people to fall in our footsteps, but hopefully we can show people a little bit of light. I feel that there is, there's so much education that can still be done in this space that you don't have to fall in the trap of, of just getting caught in the same like one, two or three different sources for the rest of your life. There's so many things that you can find out there. And and part of what we did at Pursuit Series, as Ryan said, is we were able to find and partner with some great craft distilleries, be able to take their whiskey and put our label on it as sort of a, a stamp of approval that says, hey, the guys from Bourbon Pursuit, we we kind of feel that we know, we, we feel like we know what we're doing sometimes. We might be faking it until we make it sometimes, but for the most part, we feel like we know what we're doing. And hopefully you trust us to be able to give a little bit of a leap of faith on a bottle that, yeah, you might not have spent seventy seventy five dollars on this if you would have saw if you would have seen it at your local liquor store from a label that you have never heard of before. But when you see something that has pursuit on it, all right, maybe it holds a little bit more weight. And by the way, when we do that, we don't actually charge any more than what the producer does at their own price. We try to make sure that we are even keel the entire way. We're not trying to sit here and say, all right, we'll make an extra 10% more because our name. That's not it at all. We actually sell the same exact SRP as what the distillers charge their bottles for. And we do that not only just for, we don't want to undercut, but we are here to promote, cross-promote and help kind of grow the category. And, you know, kind of, kind of rambling on a little bit, but it's, again, it's just one of those things that, you know, we're, we're overly transparent with something like that. But the good thing is, is when this podcast comes out, that single barrel Costco will probably be sold out anyway. Dude, that's a shame. I, I do want, if anyone is interested in hearing, you know, a, a podcast where we're just kind of breaking down some of these pursuit series, make sure that you send us an email or, or, or make a comment on these posts and let us know podcast at pursuit spirits.com because uh, we haven't really done formats like that where we do tasting throughs, but for some of these things that you may not be able to find, it might be interesting to hear us talk about those or maybe to hear the stories about them. But specifically, you know, this is a, it is a delicious single barrel, but I, I do want to go to another question. Um, you know, maybe one of our last questions, which is what are some ways that knowing the source inaccurately shapes our buying decisions? Ooh. Mm. I mean, I, I can tell you firsthand, it's not even the source of the whiskey. It's the source of the makers. When somebody, the first time we came out Pursuit United and it came on our local Facebook group, remember what happened, Ryan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, yes. somebody said, uh, oh, we're going to carry this in the store. Can anybody tell us about this? And as Ryan had hinted at earlier, somebody said, that's ah, going to be a shelf turtle from some tater podcasters. 
didn't even know the product, didn't know the story, <laughs> just knew it was from us and therefore had a bias and said, don't buy it. And so it's not even like goes down to the source, but sometimes it's just the, the people, the creators and, and whatever. All that aside, I get it. Some people don't like us and we're not gonna be able to change their opinions about it. But I'm just glad that there's a lot more people that are, are fans and that are, you know, trust us and, and our tastes and, and what we're able to create. And, and thank you all for being our advocates and, and everything like that out there. We can't say thank you enough. Now to kind of also answer your question a little bit earlier of like, so to take that second part of your question there, this also reminds me of something else that I saw online recently. And I look at this and I, and it, it, it doesn't shock me, but it, it irks me a little bit only because people think they're too damn smart. And Blue Run recently ran some Facebook ads. And I'm sure if you're in all the whiskey groups, you might've seen them through your, your feed as well. And you start scrolling through, and of course, I I don't comment on do anything, but I, I read the comments. I want to see what people are saying. And you go through, and and like some of the, the first comments are like, oh, which MGP source is this? Which is the furthest thing from the truth. They've never sourced anything from MGP or ever released anything from... They might have some stuff, but they've never released anything from MGP. And what they were releasing was the reflection, which is all based on... Con- Jim, Jim Rutledge contracted at Castle and Key. Yet some people have an audacity to speak up and try to put some kind of false claims and some false information out there that eventually is going to influence somebody else. And now I I don't want to be a try to be a bourbon savior or a martyr and go in there and try to correct people, but somebody finally did. But that's just one of those things that the Somebody that tries to go and correctly identify this, incorrectly identify the source, not only does it sit there and impact other people from a, a social media perspective, but you know it. I want to say it devalues the brand, but it definitely takes away from what they're trying to do because they're not trying to build something that's based off of another MGP product either. Like they have gone through the effort to go and find somebody that's a great. A, a legend in the whiskey world to go and be their whiskey maker. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, it's just some, you know, 21, 36% MGP, which isn't even close to the truth. So seeing that is, is one of those things that, you know, indirectly misidentifying the source really goes back to kind of bite the brand, which is, it's an unfortunate thing to happen. This does just happen with us. There's a lot of people that, you know, will come out with a brand and they're immediately put in this box, whether, you know, they're putting, you know, source an MGP or from whatever, you know, they're just putting this box and like, without really trying the product or understanding. No, I, I feel like this is something, you know, again, I, f- I feel like we talk about MGP a lot, but I feel like in this particular topic that, that it's, it's important a lot. You know, you see a lot of brands that do make their, they build on using MGP juice. And I'm not going to talk about the merits of doing that versus not doing that. But I do think that a lot of people will just generally assume if it's five, six, seven year MGP, it's going to taste like other five, six, seven year MGP. And I feel like if you're one of the people who have stayed away from something unknown to you because you're at risk of like getting burned by what you might get, I think like Kenny was saying in regards to 
you know, not all Kentucky juice is the same. I think the same thing can be said uh, as being distilled from MGP. I think that it's not necessarily safe to say just because it falls in the same age range, proof range, or recipe, but also is from MGP that you're going to have the same experience with the OKI that you had at your buddy's house three years ago, or with the the Blom that you had when you, you know, were with your, at your bachelor party in Nashville. I don't know. I just think that it's, <laughs> You're, you're not going to have necessarily the same experiences, even if the details line up. I think that's one way that yeah. that inaccurately you'll end up, you know, with 25 George Remuses in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> I think you couldn't have said that better. There, we talk about MGP, and let's give people credit where credit's due. There's a lot of great MGP brands that know what they're doing. Smoke Wagon. Old Smooth Ambler, Penelope, Nashville, Nashville Barrel Company. I, I'm probably missing some, but those are some fantastic MGP brands. But they know what they're doing. They are not just like these fly-by-night throwing MGP in a bottle saying, oh, you know, and people will buy it just because it's five to seven-year-old MGP. And without, you know, doing any due diligence or research, I guess that's what irks me about the the MGP. It's not that people use MGP. There's some fantastic brands that use that. The whiskey is fantastic. I guess it just irks me that immediately it's this badge of honor, you know, for someone who's just getting into the game and just throwing it in a bottle. And that that kind of irks me in that regard. One closing thing. We're going to kind of turn the subject just a little bit. But this one is part of a snippet of some questions. Maybe the other ones we'll get to, you know, in another episode down the line. But this one's really pertinent, I think, comes from Brett. Brett, thanks for the other questions that you have on this email too. But uh, he asked, how far have you all gone to confirm the identity of the distillery behind an NDP label? Did you do like a, did you dissect some big mash bill spreadsheet, make some calls? Was there, was there, is there some big thing that you wanted to get to the bottom of and you dug I mean, it and you're like, I'm. I'm so proud I found this. I mean, if you think about it, it's uh, it's, it's like you, you heard it through the grapevine. That's exactly how this this game works. I think the most recent example of everything were those 15-year totes that all of a sudden everybody was bottling, what, two years ago? Three years ago? Something like that? Mm-hmm. And nobody could figure out the source. Like, it was Beam, it was Heaven Hill, it was whatever. And... No matter where you came, it was like, oh, it was imported over from Germany and blah, blah. It's, and, and so you had so many people that were interested to try to figure this out that there were, and it's not like that we were, we were reaching out to anybody and trying to figure that sort of stuff out. Anything that we try to do, it's all through back channels. It's all through things that we're not, we're not going to be public with the information because it's mostly just for our own. I wouldn't say my own pleasure, but it's definitely our own information that we just kind of want to know. It's it's sort of scratching that itch of of information that we want to find out. But for the most part, anything that we want to find out is 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 usually I wouldn't say it's a phone call away, but it's at least two or three phone calls away. I remember probably the funniest thing. This is the funniest thing, and I I love it when people are, you know, they get all bent out of shape about it and they start thinking of things and. It was one of the things that you you look at Willet, you look at the purple tops, and you look at those those digits that are on all those bottles. Like, oh, it's 
barrel 783 or it's barrel 1412 or it's 1742, whatever it is. And people will go nuts. You know, they're like, oh my God, have you, if you had this barrel, if you had barrel 820, oh, I heard the 700 series were amazing, like blah, blah, blah. And you go and you talk to Drew at Willet and he's like, well, all the barrels just have serial numbers that are like six to seven digits and all we do is take the last four digits and put them <laughs> on the bottle. Like, yeah, I mean, like, that's it. So people were like, oh, the 700 series, like, oh, that could have been, <laughs> I mean, that's, that could have been like thousands of different barrels. Like the, the way that it could have, it could have landed out there. That and was a so, magical run. <laughs> yeah, I know. So it could have been barrel 20,000, uh, you know, 0742, or it could have been 11,000, 07, whatever. I mean, it's amazing, like what people go through to try and figure that sort of stuff out. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Um, but I think that's the fun part about it. I mean, we we look at it from a, a whiskey consumer perspective, and you put these, I want to say these blinders, but you put these these things in your your head where like you you imagine everything. It's gonna be so much better than it really was, and they're like, oh, if you don't have an eight hundred series of Willet, then you suck, or you know whatever. It's just like people are are always thinking so far in depth of like, what do these numbers mean? But then you go talk to somebody who is one phone call away and he's like, yeah, that that doesn't matter. We can only put four digits on the bottle and we just take the last four digits off the barrel. So that's what it, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, I'd love, I'd like to see the fascination of it, but for the most part, you just gotta. It's a, it's a romantic thing, you know, that you can romanticize the barrels and this and that. And all you got to do is walk into a rickhouse and there's so many freaking barrels of whiskey. It immediately ruins the romance. But uh, like we were talking about earlier, whiskey companies have figured out how to romanticize it and build on the scarcity. But as far as, you know, identifying the source and tracing it down, these brokers have been, you know, if you're finding aged inventory, these brokers have had a long trusting relationship with buyers and distilleries and, they, you know, they're the, they're pretty trustworthy. And then when you get the barrels, they, it's not like they're sanded down. You know, they say they're, you know, they have, <laughs> they have, you know, when we bought five, four Heaven Hill barrels, they came in and they said Heaven Hill on them. You know, it's, it's not like this big, uh, like Mission Impossible where you got to dive down and under lasers and, you know, <laughs> and figure out where, uh, to, confirm the source uh, it maybe we should build that story because it makes it cooler but it's in reality it's not uh that complex look i hear you're trying to break down this love for four roses for me but i'm not gonna let it happen okay i'm gonna keep that romanticism <laughs> alive I, I hear you man that's but that's the fun part too it's i, I know i've been knocking it and i guess the, the biggest thing i get is people get so caught up on you know recipes and barrel idea it's like we've done how many four roses picks kenny and they're i mean how many times have we been able to blindly guess a mash build i get like one out of ten every time one out of ten you know and that's the beauty of this hobby is that you don't want to get caught up on details so much you just do what tastes good that day in the moment with the people you're with you know that's what matters the most and it's i mean it's fun to get into the details but it just matters what's good, the people you're with, having a good time, and 
Yeah. From That's such a show. sweet yeah. and sincere way of dressing up the fact that you suck at identifying four roses. <laughs> That's right. Piece, though. <laughs> I want to put you to the test, bud. Oh, I, I would fail, but let's do it. <laughs> I'd like I'd like to try it. Well, but I mean, what you, what you say, though, is a really important factor. And, and, and Kenny, it hits on the fact that you talked about education before, too. You've mentioned a couple times during this, and, and you've talked about other podcasts before, too. I mean, the, the, the thing about it is you, if you are trying to index and try every whiskey that has existed, you have decided to have an unachievable goal. It's just not going to be possible. And in regards to what Ryan was talking about with romanticism, I think that that's just part of it too. And, and, and the education comes from, you know, just as, as much as you're able to take any barrel, any bottle, surprise somebody, throw it up, you know, against them to see what they think. If, if they're one of those, if you got one of those buddies, who's like, I only drink the top shelf stuff, you know, roll in there. Some of these single barrels roll in there pursue rolling any of these things and, and kind of just throw it in the fold and see what they think and and hopefully you have a group of people who will do the same uh against against you as well and you're able to try some things and not have to be out that money not have to worry about being out that you're just able to share and enjoy with people i say that too because i i will be surprised if that pursuit series uh hangs around for that long i feel like i wouldn't be surprised because some people might say oh it's woodenville oh it's pursuit series you know whatever it's it's not that big of a deal but I think it's got this profile to it for some distillery out of Washington. It's got a profile that I feel like would knock a whole bunch of old Forester barrel strengths out of the water. And you know that if a store releases an old Forester barrel strength, it's going to sell out at the end of a day because it's got, you know what the source is because it's got these details that for some reason people go after as opposed to these underdogs. So uh, I think it's interesting. I think it would be, f- that's that's one of those fun barrels that I think you slide that to, to your old Forester loving friend. You slide that to the person who, you know, is is super obsessed with Jack Daniels Coy Hill right now, you know, and see what they think about it. Because I think they would be surprised, hopefully with, with what the results are. And then also, you know, when they come to find out what it is. Yeah. We didn't say you did. So yeah, thank you for <laughs> being our advocate there. <laughs> But that's the, that is the fun part, and that's what got us excited about this whole the brand and the you know with the pursuit series and the United. It was like, okay, how can we go out and find stuff that's different, unique, that will stand up to what everybody else thinks is, you know, re- religion. You know, as far as you know, people make the brands a religion, and they don't stray away from them and it's like they get so laser focused and that's what's been fun with this whole concept of ours is like let's let's challenge those perceptions and yeah and have fun doing it you know guys i thank you again for another really interesting topic i think this is another really fun one a reminder if you all have other topics that you want to hear us dissect and talk about on upcoming episodes send us an email podcast at pursuitspirits.com and we just might bring those out on upcoming episodes thanks as always everybody for tuning in and until next time we'll see you all later and don't forget if you don't have the 800 series purple tops you suck <laughs> <laughs> i must suck then. 